Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here at Three Creeks, and uh, we are, like Tyler said, starting a brand new series called Locally Grown, and it's a message on the fruit of the Spirit. If you Googled or YouTubed sermon series on fruit of the Spirit, uh, you would find a lot of them, and there's a lot of people that have preached about this and, and talked for weeks or months at length, at length about this, but because as, as I've studied for this sermon series with us as a church, I have been surprised. I mean, I've been, I've been going to church since I was born. I have been surprised at the different takes on this topic. I have been surprised at how very smart people are, are thinking a little bit different things. And, and as I've studied and prayed, I'm excited to present the fruit of the Spirit to you over the next nine weeks, perhaps thinking a little bit differently than we have before. I, I certainly have changed my thinking, and I, I have a suspicion that I won't, be this, I won't be the only one who's had a little bit of a shift about how we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I, uh, I was also just sitting over here a second ago thinking, like yesterday, we had 70 kids right down here in front uh, doing something called the interlude, which is a, a dance and then we had them go sit down and we played games with animal sounds. It actually made me maybe excited to play that with you someday. I wonder how you do. And, uh, and then after that, I got, to, I got to stand here and share the good news of Jesus yesterday with 70 kids that came to our second Super Saturday. And um, man, I got to, I, I had my head bowed so I couldn't see exactly what the kids were doing, but I could hear all of these kids praying that they wanted to be back in a relationship with God, that they, that they really thought they needed help. And I, I, I know I talked to a couple of the squad leaders that said that they had some kids that said that they made that decision for the first time yesterday. And so next week, we're going to show you a video and, and maybe kind of summarize what God did yesterday, but a little bit different scene this morning. We got all the big people in here, uh, but in a few minutes... Because this baptism tank is up here and one of our Three Creeks kids is going to be uh, baptized in front of you, we're actually going to bring all the kids in and they're going to get to celebrate that with us. And so uh, that's why this is here and that's why I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, it almost feels like unfamiliar territory. I'm dusting the cobwebs off because I was talking to kids yesterday. We didn't even have church last week and we're back here talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So let me, uh, let me do myself a favor. And just read you this verse. But the fruit of the, or, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. But if there was a law, if, if it was illegal to love people with a selfless kind of love, if it was illegal to be patient with our children, if it was illegal to be gentle 
if that was against the law, just like speeding or murder or cheating on your taxes, if it was against the law to have these attributes, if it were a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Think about it from a global church perspective. Think about all 2 billion Christians around the world. If it were a crime to love unconditionally, would the, would the church be convicted? I think when you look at the whole global church, you got to say, yes. I think when you think about the billions of dollars that are being given away selflessly for no credit, when I think about the joy in a West African church, when I think about the kindness of Christians in South Korea, I think about the global church, I go, you know, you look at the whole thing and I go, yeah, there's enough evidence. I think that's kind of a slam dunk case. The church is guilty if there was a law. And then you, you zoom in and you go, what about Three Creeks? What about us if it was against the law to be these things? If, if, if the police and the detectives came in and started to investigate, would they say, yes, we got to shut this down. This is, this is not okay. Their, their, their love, their, the love of God is so manifest among them that barriers and divisions and culture are being broken down by this church. They just, they just love. They're just remarkably patient with their children. Even the three-year-olds, they're, they're patient with them. Would, would the police come in here and say, this is a 12 to 0 jury vote. No question, they're guilty if there was a law. And, 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 but if you ask the question corporately, if you're anything like me, you can kind of hide behind that corporate question. But, but if we're going to ask the corporate question, we've got to zoom in a little further and ask it personally, privately. If it were a law, if it were illegal to be these things, would you be convicted of the crime? In a court of law, the video of your life plays, the audio track of your life plays. People look at it and go, is he guilty? Is she guilty? What does the jury vote on you? And, and, and maybe if you look at that list and you go, okay, self-control, ah, that one's not my best. But, you know, goodness, I think I'm doing pretty good at that. Or, and some people were just by temperament or the way we were raised naturally lean towards being able to do some of them better than others. But on the whole, if you look at all nine, would you be convicted guilty if there was a law against such things? I, I imagine somebody in here is going, yeah, I think I'd be guilty. God has been doing a work in my life. I've been loving people and I've been more joyful and I've been more patient and God actually is producing that fruit in me, and then other people in here are having to answer that question really honestly, examining yourselves and saying, I don't know how guilty I would be if that was against the law. That's why we're talking about this series. The fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit produces is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Galatians 5, by the way. It's in the Bible. Uh, Galatians, they were a church in the first century. And Paul, who was a first century Christian missionary, went and helped start the church. And then he wrote a letter to that church when he was in prison, similar to the letter to the Ephesians. He wrote it back to them. Because there was a lot of confusion in Galatia. They were, they were asking questions like, what does it actually mean now if we're going to follow Jesus. We've made this decision. We've put our faith in him. So we're Christians. But how is that supposed to look? How are we supposed to change? What are we supposed to do? What's the difference that it makes? 
And Paul writes them and says, the fruit of the Spirit is these things. Paul lays it out for the Ephesians. He essentially is saying, attach yourself to the vine, which is sometimes how God is referred to in the Bible. Attach yourself to the vine, be connected to the source, and this is the fruit that will come out. And so if you have ever asked the question, what does it look like to be godly? This is what it looks like. What does it look like to be holy? This is what it looks like. What does it look to be Christ-like? This is what it looks like. What does it look like to be a Christian? This is what it looks like. And look at the word that Paul uses to kind of wrap these up. He says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives, which brings to mind not just what Paul writes about fruit, but also what Jesus himself said about fruit. Jesus talked about fruit a lot more than you think that he did. He's a big fruit guy. Jesus talked about fruit a lot, not just to his close friends, but even when he preached, he talked about fruit. One time, he's with his close friends, his 12 disciples. This is what he said to them about fruit. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. You are not the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So you go try to be your own branch, not not attached to the vine. You can do nothing. There's no fruit there. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And catch this, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's what he said with his close group of friends. Then he goes over and he preaches to a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand people in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's standing there and he's talking to everybody. This is what he said about fruit. He says, likewise, friends, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then catch this. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. If I showed you an orange tree and a lemon tree with no fruit on it, there's a couple people, a couple plant people in here that could tell the difference. But most of you could not tell the difference. The leaves look too similar. But let that tree produce fruit. Oh, you could tell. One's yellow, one's orange. No brainer. Jesus says it's by The fruit that we will be recognized. Bear much fruit. That's what shows that we're disciples. So if you're a Christian, maybe you're not. Maybe you're in here checking things out. And and for you, this is kind of a glimpse into what it would be like to be a Christian. If you are a Christian, it is by your fruit. Not by where you spend Sunday mornings. Not by what you know. Not by what you say. Not by how you grew up. None of those things are really the indicators of whether or not you're a Christian. It's by your fruit that people will know. It's easy to find a church. Uh, this, this is where my, my, my thinking really changed quite a bit on this. It's easy to find a church or a sermon series that will go through this verse and say, Hey, all right, guys, nine weeks. Week one, let's try to be a little bit more loving. All right, this week we're going to figure out a way to love each other. Next week we're going to put on joy. After that we're going to try patience. That's going to be a tough week. Then we're going to get to goodness and faithfulness. 
so after nine weeks, we're all going to just look a lot more like this, and we're going to kind of produce this fruit ourselves. That, that's the temptation even. From, from a, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an action step kind of guy. What am I supposed to do from this passage? And I, I almost even like that idea of telling, you tell me a couple things to do, I could kind of attach them to my life. But the problem is, is that we would all go and try to be a little bit more loving to our neighbors, a little bit more patient with our kids. We could be good and have integrity with our finances. And we get to the end, we try our best, we would fail inevitably at our long-term attempt to do those things and then turn around and go, why weren't we able to sustain that? And the, the, the reason that we can't sustain that kind of stuff just by willpowering, willpowering our way into it is that the fruit is not produced by us the fruit is produced in us. That's the difference. I'm going to say it again because you got to hear it, and I'm probably going to say it every other week that I teach in this series. The, the fruit is not produced by us. It is produced in us. It is not something that we can muster up with a strong work ethic and commitment, at least not for the long haul, because fruit can't be produced by us. That would be like going over to an oak tree and just looking at it and going, grow apples. Grow. And then you could get a fake apple and you get a piece of tape and you could tape it up there. But you and I both know that that's going to fall off. It's not real. This fruit is supernatural. It is only possible through the transforming work and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As pastors... I think we get a little bit of a bad rap sometimes because if we, ever t if we ever tell you what to do, then we get accused of telling you that we told you to do something and, and that's not the gospel, that's not grace, so don't tell us too much to do. You know what I mean? Like if I'm just like, if I do a whole message on, man, we should read our Bibles. We should spend time in prayer. We should spend time in community group with believers we should take opportunities to serve. You should come to church more often. You should come in here and, and take communion with us. We should get baptized. You should take these steps of faith. Sometimes we can even get accused of, of making it about a list of rules and like I'm giving you more stuff to do to earn God's love. It's not it. It's not it. I'm not batting a thousand. Sometimes my intentions are probably wrong in that. But, but truly, when you boil it down, my hope is not that you would just do these things to check the boxes, but rather I'm trying to help you get connected to the source, to the vine. You are a branch. And I'm trying to help you put yourselves in places where you are connected to the source, the means through which the Holy Spirit of God can get into your life and speak to you and work in you. If you don't do any of those things, well, how often are you even interacting with God in a way that would allow him to work in your life? I, 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 the, the, the big, the, the visual illustration I have, the big difference between how I used to see the fruit of the Spirit and how I'm trying to see it now is this. If, if we go take from this, this, um, this idea that we're just going to kind of attach these characteristics or attributes to our life, it's kind of like we're decorating a Christmas tree with ornaments, right? The first Saturday or Sunday after Thanksgiving, I think that should be a law, by the way, that you can't do it before then, but but you get the bin of ornaments out and you begin to look at all the ones that are really nice that your relatives got you recently and you look at the ones that are made of popsicle sticks and cotton and you get those ones and you kind of attach them to your tree and you put them on the tree and it looks really nice for a short season. But there's no life. 
There's no ornaments. Nothing's growing. And it comes a time where you just take it down and put it back in the box. There's a big difference between ornaments and fruit. Fruit takes a long time. An apple tree doesn't produce apples for years when you plant it. You got to water it. You got you to fertilize it. You got to prune it. You got to do lots of stuff before you even get one apple. And, and, and Paul's intentional with his words. He doesn't call them the ornaments of the Spirit. He calls them the fruit of the Spirit because he wants us to know this is gradual. It takes time. It takes time. If, uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to just make sure to communicate the point that this series, these nine weeks, is not about willpowering ourselves to be better people, but rather it's an encouragement to get connected and to stay connected to the source and do the things that allow you to connect with God so that he could produce fruit in you. When, when Paul picks the word fruit, Paul's always really careful when he picks which words he's going to use, which visual illustrations. Here he picks fruit. It implies that the growth is very gradual, that it takes time, a lot more time than we want it to. With growth like this, when fruit is being produced in our lives, chances are you'll have no idea that it's happening. You really won't be able to see it or feel it as it's happening. It's a lot like growing physically when you were a kid. You didn't feel that you were growing. You just were. That's why when you go to the family reunion and your aunts and uncles and grandparents look at you and say, Johnny, you've grown. And Johnny looks back and goes, I have? And you can measure growth, but you can't feel growth. Some of you guys are like, what about growing pains? And it's like, ah. We'll let the medics sort that out. I don't even think those are growing pains. I think that was just a way to get me to go back to sleep when my legs hurt. But the point is, you don't ever stand in front of the mirror and say, come on, am I? Am I growing? It's not, it's not, it's not how it works. Growth takes a long time, and it's gradual. But over time, we can see, wow, we've grown. And the true test, this is important, the true test of whether or not we've grown is not whether or not I think I've grown. The true test for me is whether or not my wife thinks that I've grown, or you think that I've grown, or I think that you've grown. It's a lot easier to see growth in another person than it is sometimes in ourselves. And so the test is, do those around us, the people closest to us, can they say, wow, You've grown. And here's the last thing I'll say about the fruit of the Spirit before we jump into love just for a few more minutes. Martin Luther wanted to make sure that we understood how this works. That the, fr that the fruit is not produced by us, but it's produced in us, and it's, it's the transforming work of God. He, he wanted to make sure that we understood that we're not saved by fruit, we're saved by faith. Let's not get that mixed up. This is what he said. He said, it is faith alone that saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. In other words, there's stuff that comes after a decision to follow Jesus. A few hundred years later, Tim Keller echoed Luther by saying this, we are saved not by fruit, but by faith, but not fruitless faith. 
Let me say that again. We are saved, not by fruit, but by faith, but not fruitless faith. In this whole series, it's going to prompt us to ask the question throughout the whole thing. Does my character make people want to believe in Jesus? Does the fruit of my life, does my character make people want to believe in Jesus? It's not asking the question, does my ability to articulate the gospel make people want to believe in Jesus? It's not going to ask, does my ability to be an apologist and defend the divinity of Jesus or the authenticity of the Bible, is that going to be what helps people believe in Jesus? It's not going to say, do my, do my Sunday morning plans make someone want to believe in Jesus? It's just going to ask us over and over and over again, does my character make people wish they believed in Jesus? Does my character make people want that? Because that's what a fruit-producing Christian would do. Imagine a church full of fruit-producing Christians. Just a bunch of fruitful people where all of these things just come out of us. You ever been to Lynn's Fruit Farm in October? Of course you have. Everybody has. Why? Because so much fruit. Does your character make people want to believe, wish they believed, in the person of Jesus. That's the question that's going to be asked as we go through this series. The first one of the nine is love. And love here is not so much a trait as it is the inner disposition through which all of the other characteristics flow. More often than not, let's just be honest for a second, more often than not, our expressions of love are directly related to the attractiveness or worthiness of the object of our affection. Right? I mean, think about it, really. Sometimes we have a moment of brilliance and really selflessly love someone or something, but most of the time, the amount of love we give, the frequency of the love that we give is attached to the attractiveness or the worthiness of the object of the person that we are loving. But that is not the love of God. The love of God has no regards to our merits or our race or our weight or our age or our wealth, our status, or our ability to love in return. This, this word here, there's a lot of words that are translated to be love in the Bible. This word here is the word agape, which is probably best translated as... Uh, to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not what the person brings you in return. In other words, it's a love that does not expect anything in return. It is purely for the other. It is the other's oriented action. That is love. And I can convince myself, oh, I'm good at it. I am good at convincing myself when I am by myself that I am a very loving person. I... You can find me in the car singing about God's love. You can find me talking to my kids about loving people in their classrooms that are different than them. You can find me talking about love all the time. I mean, I can really, when I'm by myself, convince myself that I am an agape love type of person. But you put somebody in front of me that's going to take up my time or take a couple hundred of my dollars, especially if the person thinks differently than me, looks differently than me, 
made a bunch of decisions that I think, well, that's what put him in that situation to begin with. Somebody who can give me nothing in return at all. Somebody that doesn't even know that I'm going to help. All of a sudden, the rubber meets the road. Am I really an agape love type of person? One of the things that John, who is Jesus' best friend and a disciple, he wrote, whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So in other words, our love for the fellow man is a validation of our love for God. We cannot, it is impossible to claim a deep love for God without that manifesting itself in an agape love for people. I have a, a discipleship group that meets on Tuesday mornings, every other Tuesday. We get together at 6 o'clock. We drink coffee. We talk about funny things that happened, and then we dive into God's word and we pray together. We were talking about this agape love uh, one time. This might have been a year or two ago. I, I don't even remember when it was, but it was a while ago. But I remember uh, as a group, we just discussed this idea that agape love expects nothing in return. It expects no credit. It expects no praise. It expects nothing in return. A lot of the time when I'm loving, I, I hope something comes back. I hope somebody says thank you at least. But agape love has no expectations from the other person. This is the kind of love that is produced in us and by the Holy Spirit. And so we said as a way to safeguard ourselves from doing things for praise or for applause or for something in return, as a way to guard ourselves against that and to really have agape love, this was the task at hand. It was we had to go that week and spend at least two hours or at least $200 for someone, for something that would have no chance of paying us back under, under the cover of night, ninja style. No, nobody was allowed to even know that we did it. And then, and then we agreed that we were going to come back in a week. We were going to talk at our next meeting and no one was going to mention a word about it. There was going to be no accountability to this. There, there was going to be no, okay, what did you do? What did you do? Let's, there's none of it. And I still to this day don't even know if anybody did anything. I don't know. Because the point of it was you don't get anything in return because that is agape love. It's not for anybody to think you're loving. It's just a fruit that is produced in you by the Holy Spirit of God. When, uh, when and, and if you think about that, you go, why would you, why would you even do that? Why would you live that way? To get, it just seems almost like, almost seems wasteful. The, the reason that we as Christians would operate that way is because we, at a very, very deep, deep, deep level, we know that's how God loves us. And he loved us first with no guarantee that we would love him back. He loved us first. He went to the cross before we decided to put our faith in Jesus. So it, 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 is, it is that love to us that allows love to flow through us without a real deep understanding of the love of God. 
then how could we ever operate with an agape love for the long haul? There's no way. We've got to understand that while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us in his great love for us with no guarantee that we would love him back. I, this, is, this is kind of funny. I, um, I changed my notes this morning because I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. <laughs> because I was like, oh, I'm going to give him the challenge, you know, $200 or two hours and go do it. And that was going to be like you producing fruit. And that's kind of the opposite of what I'm trying to say. So I deleted everything and I, and I rewrote what I, how I want to finish. Here, here's the challenge. The challenge is not go find two hours or go spend $200 and don't tell anybody about it. That's not the challenge because if you did that, maybe it would kind of do something in your heart and maybe you would learn something about God and, and that would be good. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's not the action step today. Because if you went and did that, I, I just have a sneaky suspicion that would be a one-time thing. I think that would almost feel like we're taking a piece of tape and putting an apple on an oak tree with tape and it would fall off, I think. And so here's, here's the action step. Rather than going to try to muster up some love, willpower your way into doing something you don't want to do, the action step for this week and for this series is to try to stay connected to the source, connected to the vine, which would mean for you a lot of things. It could mean that you're just going to try to spend a little bit of time each day reading the Bible. If you don't know where to start, start in the book of Luke or start in the book of Psalms. Just a little bit each day. Might, might mean that you just want to spend a little bit of time praying, talking to God, hearing from God, talking with God, just being with God. You spend a little bit of time praying. It might mean that you just seek out a brother or sister in here and say, can I buy you lunch? Can we just talk about spiritual things? Can we just spend time together? It might mean that over the next nine weeks, maybe you were going to come to church four times. Now it's going to be six or seven because you want to put yourself in places where you're connected to the source. The bottom line is this. If you don't try to work, uh, water this and work the soil and fertilize, it's just, the fruit's probably going to take a very, very long time to grow. It might never grow. And so the question is not, can we muster it up? Can we come up with something to do to impress God? No. The, que- the, the, the challenge is really to try to stay connected to the vine. And then over the long haul, perhaps, perhaps, fruit will begin to be produced. And it won't be these one-time things, but rather it'll be a, a lifelong adventure with God. Producing fruit and make, making people go, man, I wish, I wish I believed in Jesus because of the character of that person. There's somebody who snuck in the back. There's actually a, a lot of people who snuck in the back. You guys did a pretty good job, honestly. Uh, there's somebody back there who recently, I've had the privilege of having a conversation, who, has, who understands on a very deep level, even though he's only seven years old, he understands on a deep level the love that God has for him. And we wanted to make a video and tell you a little bit more about the story of Tyler Myers. So check this video out. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.